back, folks. Thank you so much for joining us again. I'm here with Rob Morris. This is the part two. We're diving deeper into cooperative coordination. And in this one, we're going to get into how AI, you know, plays a, a part in that. If you saw the last episode, we got a bit of your background and how you got into the space and the, the problems that you, you're focusing on. But um, in a bit of classic reciprocal soapboxing, uh, which ate up a lot of our time. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Not, not at all. This is why we're doing it in parts. Um, and I think anyone that's come along to our meetups, the various ones that we've done, whether at Oz DeFi or the one we did recently at Crypto Lulu, uh, you would have seen folks that, you know, there, there's a lot of wealth of knowledge uh, in this man's uh, head here. So uh, we're going to try to extract at least some of that. But um, let, let's talk about like Web3 and AI. Uh, first of all, like we have ourselves been speaking about how both help each other. Web three helps AI. AI needs Web three, etc. But how do how do you feel about that? Like, and you know, we know that you're already kind of doing stuff in in this space. So we'll jump into that. But just first of all, the philosophy. Yeah. So I mean, so I'm, my interest is in cooperative coordination and essentially how do we how do more humans get their needs met better more at the time. Um, because I believe that that is how we have a better world where we're going to fight less unnecessarily. Um, it is something I care about. And so it's important, I guess, to, you have to understand how all these things connect together. So let me try and draw a longbow through cooperative coordination and the meta crisis to blockchain technology and AI in one, one error. So. Positive sum of coordination, I think, is a move from coordination by control, coordination by rigid structures towards coordination by alignment. Yep. In other words, instead of people telling other people what to do and having uh, co- being able to coerce them, what we have instead is people essentially uh, participating voluntarily uh, on their own terms. So what that means is it means a greater diversity of approaches because humans' needs are just actually radically different. We pretend that we're all the same, but you take uh, a million people and ask them all, to do things the way they want, and you will get at least 50,000 different approaches, probably more like 100,000 different approaches. Yeah. And you'll get like a, a huge amount of differentiation in the big strokes and in the small strokes. And we can break that down you know, according to like your needs, your values, uh, and the kind of uh, you know things that you're trying to do or your goals and, and in some other ways. But basically, it's very different for different people. So to get to coordination by alignment, we need a, a greater diversity of approaches that builds a greater degree of attachment needs for the participants, i.e. Yeah. Uh, we can do things in a way that um, builds a sense of belonging and shared purpose that's voluntary. So that means a lot more complexity. Mm-hmm. And that also means that, it, like any system, it's important for us to try and make it hard to subvert because wherever there's power, people who want power will seek it. Um, and traditionally we rely on trusted humans to provide that. The problem with that is that humans are always a little bit self-interested, which means that over time you get this sort of incremental subversion or distortion of power structures. Yep. And we know what that looks like because we're living in a world that's full of that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, and there's a lot of double speak there where it's like, we, we say that this institution is force one thing, but actually it's not behaving like it is. And we're like, wait a moment, that doesn't check out. There's some stuff going mm-hmm. in there. So blockchain and decentralized ledger technology is a way of encoding trust that is harder to change uh, or subvert. doesn't make it impossible, but it does make it more resilient to that kind of attack if it's done right. 
And so that's the main reason why we need that kind of technology in the mix. It's not the only part of the solution, but it's an important piece. We need AI because if you have this explosion of different approaches and complexity as you essentially move from these rigid, easy to understand structures towards simple to run and something that's more like a living organism, mm. then that complexity, right? Dynamic, it's adaptive, there's different groups and different things happening. How do you deal with all of that complexity? It's very tough to, and you can see why maybe, and I don't know the philosophy behind this, but maybe people wanted, maybe the, the philosophers of old wanted the systems to run like this, but technically we couldn't. It was too hard. The technology wasn't there to be able to do that. And we talk about how AI helps you. Hey, you'll do marketing better. You'll 10x how, you know, you're currently running your operations, content creation and all that kind of stuff. But more importantly, when that's a given, when, you know, doing data analysis, doing whatever kind of knowledge work is there, everyone has their own AI assistance. I think this is like what you're talking about is a higher level usage of AI to help us get to that point where we, we have these complex organism structures like living beside us that help us for this coordination problem yeah like what we call ai at the moment is really i think best described as uh, uh automated reasoning automated human reasoning more than anything else and so it allows us to essentially bubble up a sort of a human-like response to information mm. um, and that's very powerful and so uh AI can deal with a lot of complexity and it can like summarize that without getting cognitively tired. Whereas humans, we have finite willpower, we have finite cognitive bandwidth. And so our organizations and our structures and everything is built around that. Mm -hmm. But we're already living in a world where that's not enough. We've been living in that world for a decade or more. Yeah, You're all feeling it. You're all, you know, everyone, people are getting more burned out. We're talking about touching grass and, and kind of like trying to manage this more and more. Yep. There's so much information flow already, right? We're already overwhelmed by it. And so one of the most useful things about this AI technology is it, it allows us to offload some of the heavy lifting mm. of making sense of this so that we don't have to spend as much of our energy on that part, which allows us to actually lift us up. Um, current version of AI technology is not really at risk of, you know, taking over human civilization directly, um, although... Some of my experiments suggest that it's, it's closer than we imagine uh, in, in terms of doing sort of autonomous coordination, but I don't think that it's as scary as it sounds. Yeah, I think certainly when you understand what's behind the tools layers there, that you see this more as like a calculator to an abacus than um, the T-1000 to John Connor. For those yeah. with the Terminator references and stuff. In a fun Terminator side note, mm. uh, the uh, Skynet was codenamed Atlas and it had 19 teraflops of processing power. Well, was it teraflops? I think it was teraflops. So the uh, the NVIDIA is probably not a coincidence. NVIDIA's Titan graphics card has more than 19 gigaflops. So each one of those video cards is more mm. powerful than Skynet. There you go. Fun Named that. after Skynet. I'm pretty sure that's why they named it Titan. Uh, I would not be surprised if that is, is the real case there. And so how are you using Skynet to your, um, <laughs> so, you know, let, let's get into what, what you're well, So I, I have a little observation yeah. about AI that I think it's really important. A lot of you might not understand how this current stuff works and, you know, neither do I really, but the, um, one thing that I will share with you is this, what is the motivation of AI? Whatever you tell it to be, 
right? So in some of my spicy get AI to role play, you know, do fantasy mud role play experiments recently. Yeah. <laughs> what we essentially do is we just give the AI a brief. You're going to role play as this character. Here's your backstory. Here's your motivation. Here are your goals. Here's some personality quirks that you have. Here's your subject matter expertise. And then the AI will just essentially play that role. And then if you tell it, play a different role, it will play a different role. Mm. And so you can both see that that's, in a sense, it's inane. It's not like an, a general intelligence. And also you can see how a slow and fast feedback loop of that nature will, can produce something that is quite human-like in its approach. Because if the system can essentially adaptively define its own motivations in response to the situation that it's in, then it can evolve those motivations based upon the adaptively based upon the stimulus. Interesting, yeah. It starts to become a lot more like humans. And I've messed around with this and it works way better than you'd expect already with off-the-shelf tools. Um interested to know, and maybe we might dive into that. It's another deep dive, perhaps. Your you know, how and let's dive into it, you know, the the experiments there, but also like how you're using AI and just maybe even like the differences between like 3.5 versus 4 in terms of say ChatGPT, which is, you know, what people commonly will see it as the the baseline product you get is ChatGPT 3.5 and that it has its limitations there and a 4 as being this greater yeah. kind of unlock. But first of all, before we dive into the nuances, but how are you using with the coordination things that you're you're doing? How does AI actually come into work technically and when you give me these questions where i have like i have like four different things that i want to say and plug it together but i'm like that's i'm good at that 20 minutes uh, yeah. so i'm going to try and tldr this a little so okay one thing i want to talk about in response to this is is the importance of self-sovereign technology systems absolutely that's really important yeah um and and essentially make an argument for why i consider it to be a uh, uh, immensely catastrophic for us to trust platforms with AI. I mm-hmm. don't think we should do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get into why. Secondly, uh, I can talk about, oh, this one's actually easy, so I'll just talk about it instead of listing it. So the, the big difference between GPT 3.5 and 4 mm-hmm. is essentially uh, that it's quadratically, it essentially quadratically more powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or rather, the amount of processing that you, essentially think of like, current AIs is using a bump as we've been working memory, yeah. right? So humans have a really tiny working memory, like tiny. Like if you want to see how tiny it is, ask human to remember uh, a, a sequence of numbers uh, and then just keep, yeah. uh, you know, getting them to add numbers to it. So it'd be like, okay, three, five, two, one, four, and then add five, add seven, add two, add nine. And then you, what, you're, what you'll essentially uh, discover is like when the human gives up, their, their pupils are dilating more and more and they go back to normal. That's the point where they hit cognitive overload. It happens really quickly. You can essentially get them to add three numbers at a time and they'll tap out pretty fast. It was three, five, two, five, eight was the answer. No, I'm just joking. I don't know what it was, but anyway. I don't even remember what I said. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. We'll see. working memory straight away. So you can help me. Uh, true, yeah. And so what we we do is we move a lot of stuff back and forth between working memory and short-term memory. Mm-hmm. Now, the current version of AI essentially is doing everything in working memory. Yeah. And so GPT 3.5 to 4 massively increases the amount of working memory it has, which is quadratically more expensive, which means it's hugely more expensive, which means we need much more processing power mm-hmm. to do it. And so where I think we're going to see huge benefits with AI and, and advancements is as we start to have systems that essentially deal with more short and long-term memory combined together and the experiments on this are all very promising. So that's the 3.5 to 4 version. Yep. Um, it's actually interesting because 
GPT-4 has far better working memory than a human does, and that has interesting side effects. Um, We've seen it solve more, like, you know, you give it, you give 3.5 a complex problem, like you walk into the room, you've got a cup with a ball, you, you walk outside, turn the cup upside down, walk back into the room, where's the ball? Um, 3.5 has a hard time solving that, even though there is a tree of thought type way of prompting, yeah. which we've written about, that is helpful. But then you don't even need to do that. You just tell GPT-4 that it tells you the ball's outside or whatever it is. Figure out what you mean, even if the way you brief it is ambiguous. Mm -hmm. So uh, I recently wrote a um, essentially a, a prompt that role plays as a fantasy NPC, basically, um, mm -hmm. to the what I was talking about before. Yeah. I intentionally engineered that in 3.5, which took me like a day. It took me 10 minutes to get that working in four. I just wanted to be able to run it in 3.5. So you had to be much more explicit. I basically took my four prompt and I went through and I broke it down yeah. and I corrected all of the ambiguities in my instructions and made them much, much clearer. Yeah. And that's the difference. Boards can't figure it out. You know, like you tell it, you tell it a command, you go, we're going to agree that we, I say this, and then you're going to do that. And then you totally forget and screw it up. And without you even noticing, it'll usually just figure it out and best do it anyway. And you're like, oh, I totally screwed that up. It just worked. It's like that. That's basically the difference. It, it's really interesting, you know, the, the differences there. And um, for some people, they're only going to ever access for either waiting or by using tools or paying for ChatGPT Premium. So it is worth it. So make sure you do try it out if you can. Um, so you mentioned self-sovereignty and, and the second one being like, uh, why like certain organizations, it, it might not be right platforms, for, yeah. to leave all of this AI stuff in the platforms. Now we went 3.5 to 4. What's the fourth? Yeah. So, well, I mean, that, this is that, I think it's interesting to talk about, uh, community, AI, community AI, yep. self-sovereign AI, yep. the platform problem, the consequences of the technology that we have today without it advancing at all. So I'll start in reverse. The consequences of the te AI technology that we have today, Mark, is that we now have a technology that can fabricate convincing consensus faster than you can process it, which is essentially a form of denial of service attack can be performed using AI. It can mm -hmm. not just manufacture something that's convincing and persuasive, but that is convincingly cross-correlated, right? And it can do that with audio, which is getting better, but like still already pretty convincing. And it can do it with uh, video. It can manufacture all of these things that we rely on to understand something already. Mm. Secondly, it is very persuasive. So we go into a world where it's not possible already. We live in this world today. We have the technology, which means someone will use it. It's not possible to fully trust your faculties anymore as to whether or not your own cognition has not been tampered with. So essentially, we, we're going to see the rise of a discipline I, I think of as a cognitive security, which is our cognition can now be manipulated and it is exhausting for us to stand on an even keel. And so that's the nature of the current technology. So the problem is that if you trust a platform with this kind of AI, mm. then the platform, if it's not a transparent system, if it's not for you, if it's not self-sovereign, then that platform can tamper with your cognition they might not be doing it no, right no. now yeah exactly they all probably already are doing it right now um i mean they are right that's what alignment training is yeah 
right? So the biases, the, the cultural values of the people training each AI are being embodied into the AI so that it responds along the lines of those cultural values. That's already what alignment is doing. We're not giving you an un, you know, un, uh, uh, tampered with response. It's actually being trained to uh, express particular values. Yeah. Don't talk about these things, talk yeah. about these things, etc. So that's already happening. So it's a very powerful tool. And we can't put the G back in the bottle. People calling for regulation and so on. It's kind of like pausing and stuff like that. It's too late. It's too late. Can't well, do it. The West might pause. Is the East going to pause? This country's going to pause. Is it? Yeah, it's an arms race now. And any arms race technology, you can't stop people from using it because it provides an advantage. In this case, it's not like nuclear weapons. Like you can run this without an internet connection. You can run this on any kind of computer. You can run this without a graphics card to some degree, and it's yep. getting much better. Yep. That's progressing rapidly. Good luck stopping people from doing it. Yeah. They're going to do it. It's going to provide an advantage. So we can't stop that. It's a little bit like aborting a jump. You know, like if you're skateboarding, you're going to do a big jump and you're like about to hit the ramp and you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. You're just going to hurt yourself. Momentum. The momentum's there. Yeah. No matter how you try to stop and all that. Yeah. So I'm, so what, I want to be clear here though. I'm not advocating that we should accelerate. I'm not advocating for deceleration. What I'm saying is it's too late to go back to the world before we had this technology. We have to ex radical acceptance, accept things as they are. Yep. So how can we make the most of this situation is the yeah. question I, I ask, because here we are. And so community AI, I think is really important because this is such a powerful tool. So you can start to have your own AI that helps you to process the world but it's for you and you know it's on your side it's yours it works with you it's not coming from a platform mm -hmm. and trusting somebody to not mess with your cognition mm -hmm. so we need that individually and then when we're collaborating with other people it can really help us to do that more efficiently more fluently like for example let's say you're in a community and instead of you having to kind of remember and figure out everything there's huge untapped potential in communities mm -hmm. you could instead say Hey, I want to do this kind of task, yep. uh, based upon our community history, uh, who should I talk to? And the AI can just tell you, it'd be like, oh, Mark's really interested in that. You, you know, these are the three people that are most interested in that subject. Yeah, it's a post that they had, go back and read this. Here's yeah. uh, a coordination style that meets all of your individual needs yep. because we know that, etc. right? So you can do a lot of this really complex, heavy lifting that allows humans to get to the part that actually matters to us instead of dealing with all of the scaffolding. There's a lot of mundane scaffolding stuff we have to get through at the moment. For our whole existence, but it's really important that is sovereign. Vital, vitally important because of the nature. So I'm really interested in self-sovereign technology mm -hmm. and technology that essentially puts humans at the center of their own digital world and yep. it's for them. And that's what I'm essentially working on in a variety of different ways when you get down to it. I believe that mm. each person should get the right to choose for themselves as much as possible how they are in the world to get their own needs met in their own way to mm. do things in a way that serves that, yep. and that, that we should have tools that support that. I don't believe in coercion. I think we should minimize coercion. I don't think we can get rid of it. I'm not saying that, but yeah. I think we should rely on it less and we'll get a better world for humans. If we show that there are these better coordination systems that rely less on coercion, you would think that the, and obviously the economic concepts think and even legal concepts think about the rational kind of person. And what we know is that 
yes, there is the average person, but there is no just average out there, right? Because everyone has nuances and, and differentiation. And so by giving them these options, I, I still think that people would much more associate with the less coercion and more um, incentives to coordinate, like incentives to see that collaboration is this better system. Yeah. And look, I, I come from a traditional, traditional disruptive tech background. I've always been on the emerging tech edge, but I can tell you in the nineties, everyone said that the web was crazy, right? Um, it's been, you know, on repeat crypto is crazy. It's never going to work. Bitcoin is dead. Blah. Like people always make these predictions about emerging technology, any kind of emerging technology, whatever it is, AI, blockchain, the car. Um, AR, like augmented reality, yep. self-driving cars, whatever, all of it, like the internet, mm. mobile, social, before that, the computer. When I was in primary school, I was called names for knowing how to use a computer because it was before the dot-com boom. After the dot-com boom, when computers made a lot of money, suddenly that became really cool, right? Like if you're young, you've yep. grown up in a world that always had the internet, always had social, where it was always considered something beneficial to use a computer it wasn't always the case and any when the computer was considered to be yeah oh that's weird that's a, that's abnormal that's not something that a typical person does dating on a computer that's exactly what it's crazy that was like a weird person thing to do i used to people i used to get a modem dial up a bulletin board talk to people using text on the other end of a modem and then i'd go and meet them and that's how i met a bunch of girlfriends when i was in my 20s and everyone was like, man, weird. That's pretty fucking weird. Yeah. And now I'm like, look at you all. Look at the environment that all we we changed to, you know, yep. the, the swipe right kind of environment. Like it, it wasn't. I kind of missed that. I was married before Tinder. I well, that was like a bit of a mess. <laughs> it is a bit of a mess. Not denying that. Um, And it, it's really interesting to see just how things have changed, right? Like how um we go from this world of like non-acceptance to, oh, that's the norm. Right. And so, and so I guess the point I was actually leading to that I totally forgot in my little soapbox was uh, about human needs and the pace of change. So we cannot drag every person from every background, from every generation, kicking and screaming into this new utopian world and say, everyone has to do it this way. Yeah. For starters, that's authoritarian. We shouldn't be telling everyone what to do. Let each person, let each group do it in the way that meets their needs, which is radically different. Yeah. Some people love structure. Some people love the existing system. They're used to it. They know how it works. They don't want to have to relearn their entire way of life. There are still people who have nostalgia about living in the Soviet Union because that's what they know. That's yeah. what they were used to. It doesn't mean that they thought it was a great system, but that was that was what they that was their 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 familiar place. They're right? comfortable with it. They shouldn't be allowed to have that, but they shouldn't be encouraged to inflict that onto other people where it abrogates their needs. Yeah. So I think that it's possible for us to have a lot more of this. I'm not advocating for kicking and screaming and bringing everyone into a world where they have to do things completely differently. I what, think we can have both. Unless you want that, if you unless want we're kicking and screaming, and we've got that option for a bit. But your point is, is very interesting because safe word is Ozymandias. I thought the, the safe word was harder. Um, but uh, we're adults here, folks. Um, but I, you know, going back to your point, it's interesting because you would think that the coordination thing is like, okay, so how do we coordinate all the humans or how do we um, get them all to think in this way? And it's like, no, the coordination is on the technology side. 
how do we have technology that fits the needs of the humans? It's it's back to front with how some people think it, it's going to happen, and it's always been technology since the since the moment that humans figured out how to start a fire, uh, you know, a plowshare, they have all, all of that. So you say it's plowshare? It's all technology. Like back in the day, you know, someone's got the plow and stuff, and you're a farmer, you know, with the uh, whatever the hoe and the yeah. you know the base of hail and all that kind of stuff. We figured out how to strap a piece of metal to a horse. We've got a plowshare. Yeah. The humans coordinated. Yeah. A bit of metal strapped to a horse completely changed the dynamics of our society, right? One piece of technology, a bit of metal strapped to a horse. That was it. That was what it took. Gunpowder, um, right? Yeah. A, a chemical formula completely changed the way we structure our society. Well, guess what? So is the internet. So is crypto. So is AI, because these things change the dynamics of the environment that we're in. They change what is advantageous. By the way, the death of Machiavelli, the mechanism that is making positive sum coordination advantageous is the hyper-connectedness of human communication. That's now accelerated. Mm. Crypto accelerates it, by the way, because it makes the, the trust part more efficient, primarily, mm. rather than making the communication part more efficient. So you've got like networks, you've got crypto, you put those together, much more efficient communications. So what that means is that now human social structures are far more dynamic. And what that means and why that heralds the death of Machiavelli is because monolithic hierarchical rigid structures are slow mm -hmm. and they can't keep up with the, uh, the, the huge pace of change. They're not adaptive enough. So they benefit from an economy of scale. That's what a corporation is. It collects around essentially production efficiencies, the economy of scale. And uh, that is increasingly being undermined by the fact that all of the decisions that they're making are too late and wrong, and then they're trying to keep up, but they can't. So the network effect, right, which is essentially momentum benefits, mm. is where you you have a lot of momentum that comes out of networks, essentially, right, and the fact that things are open and whatever. If you have a protocol like the internet, anyone can build an HTTP client. Anyone can build for the internet. It is permissionless. It is the original radical decentralization. And so because of that, it has a huge amount of acceleration. Then what was the point I was making, Marcus? There was a point I was making. So it's things are speeding up hugely. Yes. If a piece of metal can, you know, or a chemical reaction can completely transform the way that humans mm. coordinate, then of course these technologies can as well. And of course we should be looking at what the side effects of these technologies are and asking the question, how can we shape these in a way that makes more people's lives better? And that is the goal. We can have an impact on this. I guarantee it. It's like, we can't take back AI. We can't change That's out the bag. Moloch or the yep. arms races yep. or uh, multipolar traps or, you know, tragedy of the common stuff. Mm. That is a symptom. That is a symptom of actors or a structure that incentivizes serious on games. Because it's advantageous to each of the individuals. And if it's advantageous, then of course they're going to do it. I mean course they're going to do it like if i if i went to anyone watching this podcast and would pick a number that equal to the next 10 years of your income mm -hmm. or whatever whatever it is it doesn't matter how much it is and we say i'm going to give you that i'm going to give you that money i mean i don't have it for starters so it's snake oil hypothetical imagine i had a magic box i can mm. I have a golden goose can lay the egg and the egg is 10 years of your income you can either have that or i can give that to a hundred other people if you're honest in yourself, which would you choose? I have two predictions. 
I predict that you would probably, most people would probably choose to to take the 10 years of income for themselves, mm-hmm. especially if they are in a survival situation where that, that was like really stressful for them. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe if you're already, you know, a Chad wonder and, you know, like living your life and you're like, well, whatever, whatever, I don't need more money. Maybe you wouldn't, right? But, yeah. but for anyone that's essentially day to day, that yeah. would definitely be a hard decision. Yeah. But I predict that you would want to help hundred other people. Yeah. And you know, if I said hundred other people like you, hundred other people who have values alignment with, then you might want to do that even more. And although that might be crazy. I mean, I don't think we want another hundred people like me. But you know, this is my point, right? Yeah, right? So, so that system, that structure, if if that structure essentially incentivizes, hey, if you do a selfless thing here, it's going to cost you. Mm-hmm. You have to really have a lot of conviction in that, right? To do that, you have to disadvantage yourself and provide power to people who might use that against you to coerce you and harm you. You have to give that power away knowing full well that they might do that, which is the problem with zero-sum games. Mm. So instead, what you do is you protect yourself. You go, I'm going to hold onto the power and I'm going to use that to keep myself safe. Oops, sorry, microphone. I'm going to use that to keep myself safe. Because of course you will. Because yeah. of course you should. Who am I to tell you? You shouldn't be safe. Would you listen to me? No, of course not. So that's the problem. It is. And I think the coordination and how we actually bring about a better way forward because like if, if we don't it's we're just going to keep on going down the one direction where the rich get richer and that that is not the only problem it is the the lack it's not just the richness it's the lack of access to things i think is well like one of the biggest um problems that we've had out there but you know from, from what you've been in survival threshold mm-hmm. like i think real wealth is the degree to which you can have a long-term mm-hmm. uh, view if you're if you have to focus on the short term, you must do this thing now. Yep. Your whole horizon limited option. What you must do, that's the difference. If you have the luxury of being like, I can do what is it is is meaningful to me to further up Maslow's pyramid um, hierarchy you get basically, then uh, that is essentially wealth, right? That's real wealth in my view. And you can have a lot of money and mm. have real wealth because you can be chained to the machine that makes the money. A lot of I know a lot of high net worth people who are miserable because they are slaves to the money machine they've created and they don't get that much benefit out of it. Here's a bit of wisdom. If you have no money, you imagine that having money would be like your current life, except with money and all of the things that you can do. It's actually not. What happens is you end up essentially servicing all of the money and having a bunch of responsibilities and work that you have to do to deal with that. And, and it's like, you, you can't just relax and do whatever you want. One of the beautiful things about being poor and not having resources, there's many bad things, is that you're essentially unencumbered. Yeah. Right. Unencumbrance is big. And you, you miss that when you have all of this stuff that you have yeah. to care for, essentially. It's, um, th- there's certainly a lot here that I'm sure people are going to okay. have a fun time unpacking. There's going to be a whole lot of links. Um, but we leave off, and I know we didn't do this in part one because this is the part two. So watch them together, please. But uh, a little bit chaotic. It has, but that's that's how we like it here. Um, please tell us what what do you what what does community mean to you? Just the word, the 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 feel, the you know. You've been in this space as a as somewhat. You've been a community person for the longest time, more more than many of us, or maybe we didn't even know. But yeah, just what does community mean to to Rob Morris? To me, this is going to be a somewhat 
esoteric answer, I think. But to me, uh, community means creating uh, places where people can come together with shared values and shared meaning and create, co-create a sense of belonging and participation together yep. where their needs get met, where they feel valued, they welcome, um, and uh, essentially like that, right? And And I've been... You know, I mean, like I've been around in crypto and so on, but I've been experimenting with this stuff for basically my whole life and some of it all. Um, even in like in 2013, when I started Prismatic, which was a consultancy, it was an agency. I started it around these ideas as well. And so mm. everyone could work. It was a remote first agency in 2013. Right. Everyone told me it was crazy. Work from where you want, work when you want, as long as you get the job done. And provide people with a lot of autonomy and say, look, hey, you know, you've all got lives, you all mm. have things that you want, you all know what your own needs are better than I do. So let me help you to meet those. Like, mm. let meet them on your own terms. Do the thing that makes sense for you. How often do you want to be in the office? What works for you? Mm. Who, who am I to tell you the answer? Turns out approximately 50-50 for most people, but, I, you know, I digress. And so allowing people to essentially self-serve and get their needs met, mm. And, and, and the structure around that helps people to kind of come together without being coerced. With minimum coercion is what community means to me, essentially. And I love that stuff. It's so beautiful creating a space where people can do that because it's like you just watch people flourish. You watch people like they heal trauma. Yep. They build lifelong friendships and everyone has something to give the world. Everyone. I don't care whether you're somebody that society traditionally hates, like narcissists or sociopaths even. Yeah. Okay, like everyone has something that they bring to, to the world, right? Like, you know, there might be people who are dangerous for you. There might be people who say, maybe I shouldn't hang around that person. That person might harm me, et cetera. Yeah, There's certainly dangerous people. We're not trying to force everyone, you know, to be with the others that you I don't want to be around. a biologist and saying, you know, if there's someone abusing you, you should just turn the other cheek yeah. or something. No, God, no, you need to protect yourself. That's the sweet. You should be mm. safe. And just because we understand how somebody became traumatized and, you know, hurt people, hurt people, just because we can understand it doesn't mean they're not dangerous. So, you know, that's obviously a dynamic, but nonetheless, I think everyone has something to bring. And, and Absolutely. So that we can do a much better job of not traumatizing people. Mm. We can do a much better job of meeting everyone's needs. Mm. We can do a much better job of coming together and finding the essentially I call you working on our common interest because the genuine conflict is much rarer than we have it, right? Like most of the conflict that we have in society today is a function of the structures and it's artificial, it's unnecessary, yeah. it's inefficient to use a startup term, right? It's just inefficient uh, coordination failure. It's not necessary. There's nothing necessary about it. So what mm. that means is, like, if we consider a spectrum, mm. classic soapbox here, and you're like, come on, Rob, you know, wind up. So if you imagine, like, a spectrum, right, like, it's not like there's a coordination is solved. Mm. There's not, like, some end point. Yeah. Everything's perfect. Yeah. There's no such thing. We can stop now. But there's also, like, there's, like, essentially, like, the depths of hell, mm. and then we're all Sisyphus kind of pushing a rock up the hill towards something better. Yeah. We never get the perfect. That's good. We don't want perfect. What we want is to improve things mm. for ourselves. So I will leave you on this with this thought. What is the meaning of life? What are you here for? What's the purpose of this existence? 
it doesn't matter what you believe. If you are religious, yeah. if you believe this is all a simulation, if you believe they were just like a, a, a weird coincidence or you meet sex or you're wandering around, exactly. just whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It, it's probably the case that you as the being that exists here in this moment, mm -hmm. that experiences yourself as you are, will never exist in this form again. No matter what happens afterwards or doesn't happen afterwards. So what are you going to do with this finite and precious experience that you have? Well, that's for you. That's for each of you. You get to define that. Everyone does. Everyone makes the choice. Sure, there are other things going on, but what is meaning to you is how you choose to spend those precious moments on this one existence that you probably get, right? And for me, I, I want to live... I want to live, I want to experience this life. So that's what drives me, you know, to do all of this stuff. And I don't want to take that away from you or any of you. I don't want to, I don't want to take that away because it's a one chance. Why, who am I to do that to you? But I don't want you to do that to me either. And so here we are. Fantastic. Well, that's a very long and detailed uh, way of, you know, just learning about what the community means to you. And we, we dived into so many topics across these two episodes. So Rob, there's going to be plenty more like this and you'll see some interesting examples of stuff where we're doing AI crossovers. So LDR community means more people getting their needs met more of the time and more people getting to live, uh, according to the, the me, what's meaningful to them, to me. That's the short version. That's and the I started that in at the beginning and then let me go and let it all right. That's the stuff that you get on the t-shirt when you leave the, the concert. But um, Rob, thank you so much for uh, the, this showcase. And uh, I'm sure you're going to get a lot more people getting in touch with you after this as well. But uh, in the meantime, just where, where can people, where do people find you? Like, I know you're on Twitter. Where, where else? Yeah. So you can usually find me on platforms using the moniker Reciprometzer, which is an amalgam of well, Reciprocus and Mertzer, i.e. Uh, the Latin root words for back and forth, which is the root word for reciprocal and the Latin word for essentially a practitioner of magic. So my nickname means a practitioner of reciprocity magic, basically. Um, Love it. Fitting. I wanted to make something up. So Reciprometzer, Reciprometzer, that's where you can find me on Twitter. I'm using that a lot. Uh, I'm there on that everywhere. I'm Rob Morris on LinkedIn because it seems like a good place to use your real name. Uh, yeah, but now post some links. And thank you for having me on the show, Mark. I really appreciate it. Mate, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see who comes next in the, the next episode. So stay tuned. Please do like, share and subscribe. Rob Morris, thank you. Thanks for having me.